It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 17 is where we're going to end up. Uh, This morning, we are looking at the name of God, El Shaddai, uh, which means God Almighty. It means the all-sufficient one. Uh, It means, well, we'll get into it. Uh, What I'm realizing with the names of God, as I've been doing the studies, is that uh, each of these, we could probably spend multiple hours uh, diving into each of these names. And obviously, we (laughs) we don't have time for that in these little sessions. And so, in one sense, I am seeing these as a broad or as a big picture uh, or, a, or an overview of the name itself. In other words, I'm trying to go as deep as possible, but there's only so much you can get in 35, 40 minutes. And so, therefore, <clears throat> there is so much depth to each of these names. And, and I would encourage you, uh, don't think of the content as like, oh, that's, that's all there is to the name. There is so many layers and there's so many profundities in each of these names that I would love for you to explore uh, as you have time in the future. Uh, and I think that's certainly true with this one. Uh, the more I've been getting into it, the more I'm just like, holy cow, this thing just keeps growing. This thing keeps getting better. This thing is just like, wow, look at this. And so again, I want to look at this name El Shaddai this morning. And a lot of times in, in the Bible, it's translated as God Almighty. Uh, I think even a better terminology of that is this idea of the all-sufficient one. Now, before we actually get into some of the dynamics of this, I want to give you a passage from the book of Exodus. And this is the scene where God is speaking to Moses, and he's referring back to the time of the patriarchs in the book of Genesis. And this is what God says. He says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, but by my name Yahweh, I was not known to them. It's interesting, as I've been studying the Yahweh idea or his that personal name of God, Yahweh, it seems that the indication, and I guess this is what I'm wrestling through, the indication in the book of Genesis is that it seems like the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, knew the name Yahweh, but that was not God's primary name that they used. It was El Shaddai. And so it seems like they at least heard the name Yahweh. That seems to be the indication. And yet, then you have a passage like this, uh, But that idea of not known to them, it seems like it's a revelation idea. For example, in the NIV, it says, I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, but by my name Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. So it seems like when you get into this Hebrew idea of of the revelation of that name not being fully known or that name not being known, it seems like, again, I'm, I'm wrestling through this myself, and maybe it doesn't matter. But it seems like in the book of Genesis that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, they at least knew the name Yahweh, but the fullness of that name, the reality and the depth of that name was not fully unveiled until the time of Moses. In fact, even that name with Moses went through progressions, uh, which we sort of hinted at the other day, where God gives the name in chapter 3, then Moses says, hey, will you show me your glory? And God goes, oh, I'll I'll give a greater revelation. And so in chapters 33, 34, God pronounces the name and gives content to the name and talks about the Hesed idea and and his character in relationship to Yahweh. So it seems like the Yahweh thing just keeps growing and increasing uh, as you progress. 
All that to say, as you come into the book of Genesis, the primary name of God that the patriarchs used was El Shaddai. Again, as, as God says in Exodus chapter 6, that he appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai. He introduced himself as, woo, here I am, I am El Shaddai. Now, again, the, uh, the name El Shaddai is often translated God Almighty in Scripture. Uh, sometimes it's just Almighty if it's the word Shaddai. And I want to walk through this really quickly just as an overview or as a surface concept when we look at the name. How when you break El Shaddai up into its pieces, uh, we have the name El, which is a shortened version of Elohim, right? So it's this idea of God. Then if you look at Shaddai, if, if you look at the last piece, that the Dai, the D-A-I, it, it often is translated enough, but it's this idea of sufficiency. It's this idea of shedding forth or to pour out, or this idea of plenty. It's what you need. It's a continual pouring forth which I, I really love this idea. Then when you look at this idea of the Shad, of part of the El Shaddai, there's two ideas, and this is so interesting to me. One idea, the word Shad itself is used, I think it's 27 times in the Old Testament, and that word Shad literally means it's a mother's breast. And it speaks to this idea of nourishment or a supply or a provision or a blessing or sustenance or satisfaction. In other words, uh, here's this little baby, and what is it longing for from its mother? Nourishment. What is it longing? Safety. Uh, what, what is it desperately needing? Well, it needs provision. It needs satisfaction. It needs, it's that idea. So when you look at this idea of El Shaddai, then, here is God. And do you know what our God is? He is nourishing. He is the one that is continually pouring forth. He is supplying that which you need Everything you need for nourishment and supply and satisfaction and, and blessing. And just like a little baby would turn to its mother looking for all of this, God says, I will be that in your life. And I am the continual overflow of that reality for you. That's beautiful. But there's another side of it that I think is really profound. And it's this picture of a mountain. It's this idea of mighty strength. It's this idea of power and authority. And it's this idea to overpower this idea of great strength. And again, the pictures of a mountain. So you have this dual picture when it comes to El Shaddai, that here is God, and God is both a mountain in terms of strength, a mountain in terms of power, a mountain in terms of being immovable. And yet there is this tender side, like a mother's breast, that is nourishing and satisfying and, and a blessing. And isn't that beautiful? And there's a continual overflow of both of those realities of God being El Shaddai. Uh, here's what just a couple of uh, some of the writers say about this. Uh, in the book Names of God, which is an old from the early 1900s, uh, Nathan Stone says this, The name El Shaddai means one mighty to nourish, satisfy, and supply. It's the one who sheds forth and pours out sustenance and blessing, the all-sufficient, the all-bountiful. Not a great statement. Uh, Elmer Townsend, his book, book on the name of God, says this, Thus two divine qualities are implied in the name El Shaddai. God is both the strong one who is able to deliver and the tender one who nourishes and satisfies. Unfortunately, the English word almighty tends to communicate only one 
or, or the, only the aspect of God's strength and power. So some feel that the term all-sufficient would be better, a better translation, which I would actually agree with that. I think it makes a lot more sense. He goes on and says, the twofold aspect of the name Almighty God, listen to this, I, lo- I love this alliteration. The twofold aspect of the name Almighty God is strength and satisfaction, tough but tender. Do you know who our El Shaddai is? He is the one that is both almighty in strength, and yet he's the one that nourishes and supplies. He satisfies. He is tough, and yet, yet, yet he's tender. And I don't know about you, but I actually need both of those dimensions in my life when God deals with me. I need God to be tough, but I need him to be kind in his toughness. And if he's going to be tender to me, I want him to be tough in his tenderness. I love that twofold reality. And both of those are found in this name, El Shaddai. Uh, the great scholar, Sandy McConaughey, uh, who, who's not here this semester, but uh, she usually pops in and out uh, of, our, of our training. Uh, we love Sandy a lot. Uh, when she was studying through El Shaddai, she made this statement, and I really, I really love what she said. She said this, El Shaddai is doing two great things at the same time. He is overthrowing and bringing finality to the devil and all of his evil, while at the same time protecting, nourishing, blessing, and keeping his promises to those who love him. I, I love that idea. That, that, that God is, has these two agendas, that he's fully overthrowing the work of the enemy, and he's nourishing and supplying and, and bringing rescue to those whom love him. Isn't that great? When you look at this name El Shaddai, it's found 48 times in the Old Testament. Seven of those times, it is the full compound El Shaddai. And then the other 41 times, it just shows up as Shaddai, this idea of almighty. And when you look at this idea, especially the word Shaddai, 31 times of the 48, it's found in the book of Job. And I want to come back to that in in a few minutes, but I I find that really intriguing to me. That Again, this is the primary name that that God had revealed to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, This this was the name that Job cried forth and called forth, which is one of the reasons we actually think Job was probably during the time of Abraham. It sits there in the middle of the Genesis account uh, in terms of the the chronology. Uh, Isaiah uses a time... Uh, Ezekiel, this is really fascinating to me. In, in Ezekiel, uh, chapter 1, verse 24, Ezekiel is talking about the cherubim and in these, these angelic creatures. They, you know, they have, they have four wings and feet like uh, a calf and hands like a man and four faces and odd creatures. <laughs> you don't want to bump into one of them in the, in the middle of the night. But he says that the sound of the wings of a cherub is the same sound as the voice of El Shaddai. I have no idea what to do with that, but I just was like, okay. Uh, we know that the voice of the Lord is like a mighty rushing river. It's like Niagara Falls, kind of a, a sound. Uh, but apparently, so are the cherub wings. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? You guys aren't awake this morning, but that's, that's cool. 
Uh, it's found once in the book of Joel. Ruth, it's found a couple of times in the book of Ruth when Naomi is talking about returning to Bethlehem. So it shows up in a variety of places, but, but again, the primary, primary usage of El Shaddai is found in the book of Genesis and the majority of it in the book of Job. And then in the New Testament, again, it's a different word, but the word in the Greek that's translated Almighty is found 10 times, nine of which are in the book of Revelation. And many of those are quotations of the Old Testament. Now, let me just give you a couple of these. In Revelation 1.8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, again, it's in the Greek, but it's referencing back to the Old Testament name Shaddai. Do you know who I am? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. He goes, ah, I am Shaddai. I am Almighty. Or in Revelation 4, 8, it says that the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around and within, again, odd angelic creatures, right? But day and night, listen to this, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. They're speaking of Jesus. Do you realize that what you see in El Shaddai in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in the person of Christ. So when you look back at the Old Testament and you see the name Shaddai, that he is the Almighty, and then you come in the New Testament, the New Testament writers say, do you know who Jesus is? Especially in the book of Revelation. He's a lamb. I know he's a lamb, but he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I know that he's the Almighty, is what they say. And over and over, nine times in the book of Revelation, our God is called Shaddai. That, that Jesus is the full revelation of El Shaddai in the Old Testament. So the same God that talked to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God that Job appealed to, the same God that Naomi and Ezekiel referenced, do you realize he took on flesh and is, at this present moment, the Almighty? That he's both tough and tender. He's strong and yet satisfies. He's almighty strength. He is the all-sufficient one. It's really interesting, too, as you, as you get into this idea of the El Shaddai thing. Uh, I came across this concept, and I, I've been really wrestling with this because I think it unfolds a dynamic of this name that I think is really important for us to grasp. And, and let me just paraphrase it or say it in this sense. It's this idea of compelling nature so while Elohim is the God who creates, in the name Shaddai, God reveals himself as the God who, as several scholars say, compels nature to do what is contrary to itself. He is able to triumph over every obstacle and all opposition. He is able to subdue all things unto himself. Does that make any sense to you? In other words... What we see in the creation account is here's Elohim, our God, who speaks creation into existence. He is the almighty, all-powerful creator God. But then what you see in the name El Shaddai is that when, he, when, when God reveals his name as El Shaddai, it's in the context of covenant. It's in the context of blessings. It's, it's, it's used in a variety of ways. 
But it seems like when the revelation of El Shaddai shows up, God, as creator, gets into the middle of his creation and, as this statement is, compels nature to act in accordance with that which is contrary to itself. In other words, here is God who looks at creation and has creation do something that is impossible for creation to do. Let me give you an example. The very first time this passage shows up is in Genesis chapter 17. So the first time we get the name El Shaddai is in the context of Abram. And you, you know the story, but God looks at this man by the name of Abram. He lives in this place called Ur, and he says, Hey, Abram, would you come? Hey, I'm Almighty God. Would you come and follow me? Hey, would, would you allow me to be your God? And I will choose you, and I will make you a blessing, and, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's Genesis chapter 12. And so here is Abram at 75 years old, and Abram decides to follow God. And God says, Abram, which means exalted father, right? The name Abram, which had to have been a mockery at some level because he had no children, right? So every time Abraham introduced himself, he says, hey, I'm, I'm Abram. And everyone's like, oh, you're the exalted father. How many kids do you have? And what's their names? And show me pictures and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And Abram's like, I don't have any children. <laughs> and now he's 75 years old. And his name means exalted father. And he says, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And so he follows God and he comes to the promised land. Fast forward 25 years, Abraham has been holding on to a promise that God would give him children. Now, you realize that if God promised you something and you had to wait 25 minutes, that would be a wait in our culture because that's longer than a microwave. I mean, that, that's longer than a drive through wait time, right? So, I mean, there, there's this, that's a long time in our culture. Could you imagine 25 days, having to wait 25 days for something? God says, hey, I, I promise you I'm going to do this. Just, just wait. And you're like, okay, when is it going to come? When is it going to come? When is it going to come? And 25 days later, I mean, could you imagine waiting 25 months for something? Abraham had to wait 25 years and after 25 years of having this mockery of knowing that, all right, my name means exalted father and I have no children, but hey, my God promised me. Do you realize he's at the point where this is now, I mean, if it was impossible at 75, it is really impossible at 100. I mean, you are past the years of childbearing. And we know his wife was really good looking because there's a lot of awkward stories in Genesis about this. But now Sarah is 90, and she is past the age of, of childbearing. This is impossible. So listen to what God does in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. It says, now it happened that when Abram was 99 years old, so this is 25 years after the promise, that Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless so that I may confirm my covenant between me and you, and that I may multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God spoke with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. 
And no longer shall your name be Abram, the exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, which means the father of multitudes, which is contained in the promise that God just gave him. For I made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will go forth from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to, to be God to you and to your seed after you. So you get this flow in the passage that, that here's Abraham, and he's been holding on to a promise for 25 years. And we know that in the book of Hebrews that he did not waver from the promise. He trusted in his God. And yet God says, Abram, I know you're old, but do you know who I am? I'm El Shaddai. I can actually compel nature to do that which is opposite of, its, of itself. You are past the years of childbearing, but that actually doesn't matter. Why? Because I'm El Shaddai that this looks like an impossible situation, that's okay. I can handle it. I'm El Shaddai. And as God is reenacting the covenant, as God changes the name, as God gives the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision, which is the next passage right after this, all of this is contained in this revelation of God being El Shaddai, that he is God Almighty, that, that he is the all-sufficient one, that it actually doesn't matter what the natural realm looks like, God can step into the middle of the natural realm and compel it to do that which is opposite of its very nature. Why? I'm El Shaddai. Does that make sense? That's incredible. Let me prove this, prove this to you. Do you realize that God loves the impossible? Now, we, we say that we like the fact that God loves the impossible, but when you're walking through those moments, we don't like the fact that God loves the impossible. Because it seems like all throughout Scripture, God is purposely stacking the deck against himself. Haven't you ever noticed that? It seems like God will purposely wait longer than is necessary. He will allow the circumstances to get tougher and tougher and tougher and then be like, Ha, 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 I'm now stepping in. And you're like, but Lord, it was impossible. Now it's like really, really impossible. God goes, I know. But I'm El Shaddai. And you see this over and over. For example, Genesis 17, here's Abraham and Sarah. Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90 years old. They are past the years of childbearing. And God goes, what is that? What is that to me? That, that, that's not a big deal. Yeah, but God, we're a little old. Psh, so what? I'm El Shaddai. I can handle that. Will you trust me? Uh, you have this incredible scene where uh, Moses gets the Israelites out of, out of Egypt. And now, which was impossible, but now they're really at an impossible situation. And again, it's like God stacks the deck against himself. It's like he allows things to get more difficult. And here they are. They got mountains on this side, mountains on the other side. They've got a Red Sea in front of them. And now they have Pharaoh's army coming up the back. Where are they to go? What are they to do? They are trapped. And God just goes, ah, it's awesome. Now we know those stories and we're like, amen, praise the Lord. He's the God of impossibilities. Yeah, but if you were in that situation, how would you be responding? There's that incredible scene where God gets Gideon 
and says, hey, I want you to go fight the Midianites. And uh, Gideon goes, okay, I'm, all right, I guess I'll, I'll do that. And, and God goes, oh, problem. And you're like, uh-oh, what's the problem? God says, Gideon, you have too many men. That's dumb. <laughs> They're about to fight a battle. I'd be like, uh, Lord, no, I, hark, I heard, I heard too few. I mean, I heard too many. Didn't you mean too few? He's like, no, you have way too many guys. So tell those who are fearful to leave. And then half your group leaves. And you're like, oh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> and you're like, okay, God, at least everyone's no longer fearful. He goes, oh, you have too many people. Hark, I think I heard again, too many. Don't you mean too few? And he, God whittles it down to 300 people. Folks, that's impossible. But that's what God said. Hey, I want this to be impossible so that when I get the victory, you can't claim it for yourself. I get all the glory. So God purposely stacks the deck against himself and makes it, it was already impossible, folks. When you look at the numbers that Midian had to the numbers that, that Gideon had, it was impossible. And now it's even more impossible. But that doesn't deter God. Why? He is El Shaddai. See, you don't take a little teenager and put the stake of the nation in his hands as he fights Goliath. Teenagers can't fight beasts. They die. This is impossible. And David says, what are you talking about? I know who my God is. He's the all-powerful one. He's the all-sufficient one. He's the one who's able to come through. He does not mind impossibilities. In fact, he delights himself. I mean, could you imagine? Here's this young teenage girl who's a virgin, and God says, whoa, you're going to be with child. Uh, that's impossible, but not with El Shaddai. See, he can step into the middle of nature and turn, his, turn this thing on its head. Wouldn't that be interesting if we realize that he can still do that in our day? He hasn't changed, folks. He is still El Shaddai. He was El Shaddai with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is El Shaddai today. And what you read in the book of Revelation is he's still the Almighty. He is still that way. And forever he will be El Shaddai. He is the all-sufficient one. He is the all-powerful one. He is the one that is both strong and yet kind and nourishing. He's always this way. You, you look at his character throughout the entirety of the word, and, and what do you see? You see God who was almighty. You see God who was strong. You see God who was powerful. You see God who has nothing can stand against him. And yet you see a God of great mercy and a God of great love. He will bring judgment, but he always extends mercy and kindness first. He always gives opportunity to repent. That's incredible. And I don't know about you, but there are situations that that we are in the middle of, we are in a culture that you could just go, oh no, unless you realize we have El Shaddai as our almighty God. That the precious savior who we worship is the one who is not intimidated by the culture today. He's not intimidated by who's president or who's prime minister. He, he's not intimidated by the economy in fact, Psalm 2 says he sits back and looks at all that his enemies are conspiring against him and God laughs. He mocks. See, he's not intimidated. Why? Because he's all-powerful. Well, this is an impossible situation. 
Jesus is not for me. Do, do you not realize that, that I can literally compel nature to do that which is opposite of nature? What about your life? Don't you have impossible situations in your life? Don't, don't you have these addictions that seems like they can never go away? Wouldn't it be incredible to realize that your God is El Shaddai and that there is no impossibility that is so impossible for him that he can't break through? That he delights in impossibilities. Why? Because he gets all the glory. He loves impossibilities. Why? Because he is clearly seen. And you cannot take credit for that. So if you're in the middle of an impossible situation, if you're in the middle of a, of a crisis, if you're in the middle of, of an addiction, if you're in the middle of a, whatever it may be, wouldn't it be incredible for you to go, wow, do you know who my God is? Do you know who my precious Jesus is? He is El Shaddai. And he's not intim intimidated by my circumstance or my situation or my addiction that he can actually turn all of this on its head and he wants to show forth his power and his grace and his might and his mercy and, and his mountain strength, but his mother's nourishment and kindness and supply. There's this phenomenal passage in the book of Ephesians. And at the end of chapter three, this is what Paul says as a, as a declarative statement. He says, now to him, speaking of Jesus, who is able, oh, what is he able to do? Get this, far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or understand according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen and amen. Did you hear that? Paul in this overwhelming declaration says, our God is able Please contain your excitement. But folks, he's able. Well, what is he able to do? Folks, he's El Shaddai. Nothing is too impossible for him. He loves impossibilities. And so if you're in the middle of an impossibility, woo, hang tight, because God loves those places. Well, what is he able to do? Paul says, take your wildest thought. Just, just take, take your greatest, like what is your best case scenario? Do you realize that God is able to go beyond anything you could ask or imagine? I mean, your best case scenario, he can go beyond it. And not just beyond it. The term that, this is so exciting to me. The term, please stay seated. The term, just can control yourselves. The term that Paul uses for this far more abundantly beyond. Are you ready for this? It's two words. Okay, it's two, two Greek words. So God is able. Well, what is he able to do? Well, hey, what can you imagine? What's your best case scenario? God is able to, these two words, than that. Okay? One of those words is the Greek word that means beyond which should make sense to you. So that's why we translate it far more abundantly beyond because he can go beyond. You tracking? Now the second word is actually, so we have the first word, which is beyond. The second word is actually three Greek words shoved together. It's a really fascinating word. 
So it's the first word, beyond. The second word is three different words, Greek words, shoved together as one word. The first word of the three words is the exact same word as the first word. It means beyond. So you have beyond, beyond. Now, the second word of the three is a different word, but it means beyond. Isn't this incredible? So you have beyond, and then you have beyond, which is the same word, beyond, which is a different word. Now, the third word of the second word, I, I, this is getting confusing. I know that. And those who are listening to podcasts are just like, well, I have no idea. So we have beyond, and then we have beyond, and then we have beyond. The third word of the, of the three, right, is a word, and here's how you can define it. This is amazing. Exceeding, more than necessary, super added, supremely, abundant, much more than all, superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon, more remarkable, more excellent, preeminent, superior, or advantage. Well, that's quite the word. <laughs> this is the word. Uh, this word, by the way, is used 10 times in the New Testament. One of those is found in a passage you know really well, John 10.10, 10, which says, Jesus declared, the thief has come only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Oh, so like it's really good life? You missed it. It's not just life. Do you know what kind of life Jesus is giving you? It is a life that is exceeding more than necessary, super added, supremely abundant, much more than all, superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon, more remarkable, more excellent, preeminent, superior, advantage. That's the kind of life that Jesus brings you. That's incredible! So think about this. Paul, in Ephesians, says, do you know what God is able to do? <gasps> what is he able to do? Take your best case scenario. Take your wildest dreams. Just what, what, what would you ask or imagine God could do? Do you realize that he's not just able to do that? He's able to go beyond, beyond, over and above, and beyond that. Don't you think Paul's trying to tell you something? See, again, we look at our situations and go, oh no! See, we look at our situations and go, God, I don't, I don't know if you can handle this one. And I, I mentioned to the students the other day, but see, we often go to God and tell God how big our problems are. Wouldn't it be incredible for us to realize how big our God is and therefore go to our problems and tell our problems how big our God is? Why? Because he can handle it. He's not intimidated by your problems. He's not intimidated by your crisis. He's not intimidated by your impossibilities. Why? He is El Shaddai. He is the all-powerful one. He's the almighty. He's the all-sufficient one. Look at this passage that Peter mentions about Jesus. This is amazing. It's one of my favorite passages. 2 Peter 1, 3-4. Peter says, seeing that his divine power, speaking of Jesus, has granted or given to us everything. And do you know what the word everything in Greek means? It means everything. He has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So pause. Do you realize that everything, everything, and I mean everything, that you need for life and godliness is found in one place? 
His name is Jesus. He's the all-sufficient one. As Colossians 1.18 says, he's the preeminent one. He's everything you need. He is all-sufficient in and of himself. And now everything we need is found in him. And I cannot think of a single thing I need outside of life and godliness. Which means everything I need for, for everything is found in Jesus. So Peter says, seeing that his divine power has given to us everything we need for life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Listen to this. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Do you realize who Jesus is? He's El Shaddai. He is the Almighty. He is the all-sufficient one. Listen to what Revelation chapter 15 verse 3 says. This is speaking about the heavenly realm stuff. And it says that they sang the song of Moses. They sang a song of Moses. And, oh sorry, who is the slave of God? And the song of the Lamb. So apparently the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb is the same song. Well, what's the song? Listen to this. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, which in Hebrew would be Yahweh Elohim. Great and marvelous are your works, Yahweh Elohim, El Shaddai. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Do you know what the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb is? It is a and a declaration of God's names. Great and marvelous are you, O Lord God, the Shaddai, the Almighty. And righteous and true are your ways, the King of the nations. Do you know who our Jesus is? He's the all-sufficient one. He is the Almighty. He is El Shaddai. So really quick, just what does this mean for how we live? What, what does this mean for our lives practically? Let me give you really quick four ideas. Number one, what is it that God is calling you to? Or maybe if you want a different question, what is it that you're walking through? Do you realize that Abraham's calling, which was to be the father of many nations, the strength that he could lean upon, knowing that that promise was sure, is the fact that he knew who his God was. His God was El Shaddai. And I don't know what it is that you are called to, but do you realize that the calling that you have in your life the reason you can stand, the reason you can even do it, the, the reason that God will supply that which you need is because your precious Jesus, your Savior, is El Shaddai. Would you look at the calling on your life and not say, oh, this is my calling. God, you can sit this one out. I'm going to do my calling. What are you talking about? He is calling you, which means he will supply which means you need him as El Shaddai. Or perhaps if you want to change the question a little bit, what is it that you're walking through? Because it may be a tough season in your life. 
It may be one of those seasons where you're walking through and it seems like an impossibility. And here's where I think the profundity of the name actually takes place because the majority of the times where the name shows up is in the story of Job. And you realize that of, of all the people who have lost, of all the people who actually went through struggle, of all the people who really had to wrestle with losing everything, Job is a good contender for at least in the top 10. <laughs> and yet do you realize that Job's perspective was, it doesn't matter what I go through, it doesn't matter what I lose, God, I know who you are. You are El Shaddai. And the fact that Job uses that name more than anyone else, I think is really profound, especially if you're going through a time of difficulty and hardship. Would you allow your God to be the all-sufficient one in your life? Because he loves impossibilities. He's able to go beyond, beyond, over and above and beyond all that you could ask or imagine. It doesn't mean he's going to, he's not a genie in a bottle. He just solves all of your problems so you can be comfortable and passive. A lot of times he will allow us to walk through the difficulties so that we have to trust him, so that we depend and we learn his faithfulness practically. But would you remember as Gabriel told Mary that nothing will be impossible with God? He is the all-sufficient one. He is the one who loves impossibilities and he's able to go beyond, beyond, over and above all that you could ask or imagine. He is your El Shaddai. Number two, I don't know what you need this morning. If you need an overpowering, immovable mountain, or if you need the tenderness of a mother's breast, but do you realize that your El Shaddai is both of those things? That he is both strength and kindness. As, as that great quote I read earlier, he is the strong one who is able to deliver and he's the tender one who nourishes and satisfies. That El Shaddai, the Almighty God, is both strength and satisfaction. He is both tough and he is tender. And so I don't know what you need this morning. Maybe you need a, a swift kick and you need tough love. Or maybe you just need a hug. And you need supply and satisfaction and blessing and security. Do you realize that's found in Jesus? Whichever one you need, he's it. Because he is El Shaddai. Third, there's this interesting thought that El Shaddai is actually the one who not only calls us, but the one who supplies that which we need for how we live our life. And if you look at Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, the statement says that Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, walk before me, which is this, it's, it's a, it means to live. Walk before me and be blameless. That, that we are actually called to be holy. We are called to be godly. We, as, as Romans 8 verse 29 says, we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. Or, as I read earlier, 2 Peter 1.4, that you are to be a partaker of his divine nature. Now, we don't become God. We, 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 you do not become God. I do not become God. Praise the Lord. 
But do you realize what has happening? He is, he's inviting you in to share his life and his nature. And just as Yahweh looked at Abram and says, hey, walk before me, live and be blameless. Do you realize that the calling to be holy and godly in this age that we live in is only going to come when he is our El Shaddai, when he is the supply, when he is the source of all of that? And so would you remind yourself that this is not by your wisdom and not by your talent and not by your gumption and not by you gritting your teeth and trying to live out the Christian life. This is, oh, what would happen if you would embrace the reality of Christ in your life and his life would now be your life and the reality of El Shaddai would start to live inside of you and he would actually be El Shaddai in you through his spirit. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would change everything which is basically the fourth concept. Would you be willing to humble yourself and embrace your all-insufficiency so that you could experience his all-sufficiency? Does that make any sense? Here I am. I'm insufficient. Here I am. I'm helpless. And folks, that's not a bad thing. That's how God made you. He made you to be dependent. He made you to be helpless. Why? Because he wanted to be the source of your life. And so what would happen if I would humble myself and I would embrace my helplessness? What, what if I would, this is, this is just the Beatitudes, folks, of Matthew 5. What, what if I would humble myself and embrace my helplessness? And what if I would humble myself and embrace my in, insufficiency? I am not adequate. I can't do this. I cannot live the life I'm called to live on my own. I cannot be a Christian like I'm supposed to be. This is impossible. God goes, I know. I, I made the Christian life impossible because you're, you cannot live the Christian life out of your own resource and strength and wisdom and talent. That's impossible. You can't do it. You can mimic, you can fake it, but you can't truly live it on your own. Why? You're helpless. You're, in a, you're, you're just insufficient. Well, then what do I need? Wouldn't it be amazing if the God of the universe, who is El Shaddai, his name's Jesus, wouldn't it be amazing if his all-sufficiency would invade my insufficiency and suddenly what is happening in my life is not, yes, I'm walking in obedience and yes, I'm walking in response to him. That's all true. But what if my insufficiency could get all wrapped up in his all-sufficiency. We call that the Christian life. And what is coming out of you is not you, it is him. But the only way to embrace that is you've got to walk in humility. You've got to seek him. You've got to embrace him. You've got to cry out and just be, God, I, I need you. Pray with me. Jesus. Oh, you are El Shaddai. You're both a mountain and like a mother's breast. You're both strength and all-powerful, and yet that which nourishes, that, that which sustains, uh, that which caretakes, you, you are that which supplies. And Lord, we need both. We need strength and satisfaction. We need toughness and we need tenderness. 
And Lord, I just want to confess this morning that I'm helpless. I am insufficient. I, I can't live. I can't think. I can't talk the way I'm supposed to outside of you. So you and your all-sufficiency, could you truly be everything that I need for life and godliness? Would you be everything that I need to live the Christian life? And Lord, what would it look like if not only I walked in humility, but I would walk in response to the movement of your life in and through me? What would it look like if I just, I, I just wrapped myself all up in you? What if my focus and my drive and my passion became you and I experienced both your strength and your power in my life, but also your kindness and your mercy and your love? Lord, we need you in this generation as El Shaddai. The one who loves impossibilities. The one who is not intimidated by, by what nature is supposed to do. That you can open up Red Seas. That you can open up the wombs. You, you, hey, you can, you can defeat armies with just a few people. Why? Because you are El Shaddai. And Lord, if that was true back then, what could you do in my life? What, what could you do in my situations? What, what, what could you do in my circumstances? Lord, what, what, what could you do in my addictions? What, what could you do in the things that I just keep looking at going, well, this is impossible. Lord, what if I would just release you? What if I would just give you permission to invade every area of my life and be El Shaddai? Lord, don't let us remain the same. Lord, will you just change everything in our lives? Doesn't mean you're going to fix the circumstances. We get that. But Lord, in the middle of our circumstances, would you be everything that we need? And would you glorify yourself? Lord, thank you that you were the Almighty, that you are the Almighty, and you forever will be the Almighty, the all-sufficient one. We love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening. 